everyone. I'm Gary Knoll. This is an empowering hour coming at you. We're going to learn about how the B-complex can help people with mental conditions, including schizophrenia, University of Manchester, which is in the United Kingdom. But also today, I'm going to take issue and share a different opinion from those who are saying the economy's back and great and people are doing terrific and people's confidence in our economy is good and they're spending a lot. Well, that's partly true. They are spending, but how are they buying with debt using credit cards? Then that's kind of an economic alchemy. On the one hand, you're saying we're doing great. Look at the money people are spending, but you're not looking at the debt that they're using in order to create that growth. So it's a, it's a foolish notion. I'm going to take a look at our actual debt, something that no one in the media is doing at all, to put it all into proper perspective. Also today, we're going to hear from some people who are speaking out. For example, a mainstream board-certified pro-vaccine physician who is an emergency room physician, but he's also a scientist in, in bacteriology. And he is going to tell us about what's actually going on when that vaccine and the protein from that goes into the body. It's a short piece, but very interesting. And he's saying, hold on a second. Why are we using the American public as human guinea pigs? We shouldn't because there's all kinds of conditions, including cancer, that can come from this. We're also going to hear from a woman who started to see all kinds of irregular diseases and deaths occurring in people who were vaccinated in her hospital. It became so unusual that it preoccupied every moment of a day, and nobody wanted to hear it. In fact, they wanted to cover it up. In fact, they wanted to fire her for just telling the truth about how bad it is. Well, if she and the other physicians and nurses are not able to tell the truth about how serious and many the side effects are, then how are we supposed to believe anyone who says they're safe and effective? These are just some of the issues we're going to be taking on today. Oh, and Robert F. Kennedy Jr. has gone after Anthony Fauci. Good for him. We'll hear what he has to say as well. But we begin with something that I'm familiar with. Because back in the early 1970s, I was working professionally with Dr. Abrams Hoffer. He was an MD, PhD, mainstream, but he believed in what was called orthomolecular psychiatry. In fact, he founded the Orthomolecular Psychiatry Foundation, and originally it was orthomolecular medicine. And Linus Pauling was attracted to this also, meaning taking nutrients naturally occurring and using these nutrients to rebalance our brain chemistry. And he did it with his associate, published it in a peer-reviewed journal, first ever, to show that you could use niacin, in this case, and the B-complex, to calm people down and to take them out of these highly agitated uh, states, especially those who were labeled as schizophrenic. And that was just a breakthrough. The trouble is no one else followed. Dr. Michael Schachter, and some of the other psychiatrists, mainstream psychiatrists, began then to approach their psychiatric problems the same way. Now, I had a lot of friends, personal close friends, not professional friends, but people I spent time with, who were medical doctors, uh, 
and Dr. Lane Kahn, Dr. Alan Putterman, a psychiatrist. And uh, the, I had about seven of them. And these individuals were looking at the new emerging science. And they said, it's just common sense. In fact, we did a study, an informal study. It was never published. It was too small a group. But I asked my friends who are psychologists, including Dr. Kahn and Dr. Donald Mullins as examples, give me the patients that they had had the most problem with, that they hadn't been able to help, even with medications they were on. So I took 20 patients, and over a period of one year, with them present, I would try to rebalance their brain chemistry. And the number one nutrient I used was the B-complex, 75 milligrams. B1, B2, B6, one milligram of B12, one milligram of folic acid, plus up to, up to what was called the flushing level of niacin, and plus other changes like eliminating sugars and caffeinated beverages from their diet, and 90% regained a sense of normalcy and were taken off their meds and began to live normal lives. And so that was the basis of the work I would do in many of the clinical studies I did, including a classic study that was published in the peer-reviewed journal and on overcoming depression and anxiety naturally. Many of you listening and watching right now might have been a part of it. Remember the church at 86th Street and West End Avenue? And it was packed, 500 people, every, every uh, Sunday. And we did that for uh, three months. 94% of all the people were able to reverse completely their depression and anxiety. And then we followed you for another year, and the majority kept on the protocols. It was changing the protocols. So that's a little background. And then I wrote a book called The Food Mood Connection, and then Rebalance Your Brain, and then uh, another one on, uh, on dealing with rebalancing brain chemistry and growing new dendrites and supplying new mitochondria to the brain. So, a whole lot of work in this area. So now a new large-scale review of existing research shows that B vitamins can reduce symptoms of schizophrenia. This new research led by uh, Dr. Joseph Firth from the Division of Psychology and Mental Health at the University of Manchester in the United Kingdom and was published in the Journal of Psychological Medicine. Firth and his colleagues reviewed all the randomized trials available that examined the effects of supplements like minerals and vitamins on schizophrenia patients. It came to 18 clinical trials, a total of 832 psychiatric patients that were under antipsychotic treatment, and this worked. So for all of you who are dealing with schizophrenia in your family or friends, just let them know that there's good science, peer review science, clinical studies, 18 of them showing that taking the B-complex every day at high doses can make a difference. We're seeing a lot of people and animals suffering from liver disease, partly because of the processed diet, partly because of all the fat in the diet and alcohol and processed sugars like high fructose corn syrup. Well, one of the things that can help in a major way is, of course, eliminating the known um, saturated fats, trans fats, arachidonic fats, meat, processed meats. Yes, that helps. 
getting up the sugars. That also helps. But now new research from the Zaid Medical College in Pakistan shows that black seed reverses liver disease. Yes, a new study on a widely revered herbal medicine has produced a potential breakthrough in treating a condition that is a warning sign of serious disease risks. The common health problem affects as many as 19 million Americans, most of whom don't even know that they're in danger. Nigella, N-I-G-E-L-L-I, Sativa, S-A-T-I-V-A, Nigella Sativa, well, a.k.a. black seed. And hence, when you press the seed, you get the oil, black cumin seed oil. And that's how you use it. Now, don't take it straight. Dilute it in a 16-ounce protein shake. But it really made a difference. And it was able to positively affect the progression of liver disorders worldwide. So I think that's very important. The study divided 70 outpatients diagnosed with fatty liver disease into two groups, and the medicinal herb was provided to the experimental group, while the control group was given a placebo. The placebo group didn't improve, but boy, they were improved on the black cumin seed oil. So just let you know, add black cumin seed oil for helping liver disease. And from Medical University in China, Drinking tea on a daily basis can help reduce the rates of stroke and dementia. And this was published in the current journal of PLOS Medicine. So drink your herbal teas. Hopefully you can get the non-caffeinated ones. And it helps lower the risk of post-stroke dementia. Also from the University of Texas, prostate cancer patients who practiced yoga had better quality of life, and anti-tumor response. So yoga benefits men with prostate cancer, according to the report, uh, shared at the 2021 American Urology Association annual meeting. Participants who practice yoga experience improvements in it, the anti-tumor immune response, as well as reduced fatigue and improvements in physical, sexual, and functional and social well-being of all life scores. This was published in the current issue of the Journal of Urology. And also from the University of Massachusetts comes a study on cannabinoids. By the way, that's spelled C-A-N-N-A-B-I-N-O-D-O-L-D-S. And these show potential antibacterial activity against six different strains of MRSA. So recent studies have shown that the constituents found in Medical cannabis can aggressively combat this major bacterial pathogen, which kills thousands and thousands of Americans every year, especially those in the hospitals where you have very unsanitary conditions. In fact, uh, cannabis contains over 70 therapeutic cannabinoid um, constituents, and uh, these are fatty acids that occur naturally in the cannabis sativa plant. They're also found naturally in the form of a endocannabinoids inside the human body where they help govern immune function, appetite, sleep, memory, cognition, and perception of pain. Just something more for people to understand. Also, we're seeing around the world 
the promotion of a lot of spiritual retreats. Sometimes these are affiliated with a particular religion, more often than not, not. And I believe very strongly in the power of spiritual awakening. In other words, I believe that we are spiritual energies existing in a physical body because every single function of life is based upon a pre-life knowledge of how a cell functions. I'm not going to go into it now. I will be in an upcoming lecture on the beginning of life. That'll be one of my new webinars starting in January. My newest webinar this Sunday is on overcoming and having positive outcome for depression, anxiety, loneliness, fear, insecurity, and uncertainty, which polarizes people. They frequently know what to do. They're afraid to do it, or they're too depressed, or they're apathetic, or they give up, or they become negative and toxic, or they're around people who are negative and toxic and don't want them to strive, don't want them to thrive, want to keep them at their level. So if that's you, go to GaryAndAll.com, and at 1 o'clock this Sunday, I'm going to do a live webinar and take your questions. So it's an opportunity for you to have that one-on-one live contact. And then also show a documentary afterwards. But in any case, anytime you can go to a, I'm not talking about cults, I'm not talking about nonsense ones. I'm talking about legitimate spiritual retreats. The newest science from Thomas Jefferson University found that they change the feel-good chemical systems in your brain. Now, more Americans than ever are turning to spiritual, meditative, and many religious retreats as a way to reset their daily life and enhance well-being. Now, researchers from the Marcus Institute of Integrative Health at Thomas Jefferson University show there are changes in the dopamine and serotonin systems in the brains of retreat participants. The team published the results in Religion, Brain, and Behavior. So that's good news. Quote, Our study showed significant changes in dopamine and serotonin transporters after a seven-day retreat, which could help prime participants for the spiritual experiences that they reported. And just as an aside, it was considered so controversial back in the early 1970s, 71, 72, of thinking that prayer could help people. It was nonsense. It was, you know, it was for foolish, primitive minds, we were told, right, by sophisticates, people who more often than not were agnostic or atheist, to look down at someone who had a belief, any belief. And uh, so I had to do a study quietly at the Institute of Applied Biology, not my nutrition studies, of which I did almost 145, but this was in the Psy research. I simply wanted to see, was it possible to bring together a group of individuals who believed that because of their spiritual values, that there was some form of spiritual connection that possessed a healing energy between the person and that being healed. And in their lives, it was humans. Now, we had Olga Worrell. Some of you old enough will remember her, a healing televangelist. And Catherine Coleman, also a televangelist. These are the people you'd see on uh, with Oral Roberts on Sunday mornings, tell them to 
touch your television and you'll see people being hit on the head and collapsing. How much of it was theater and how much it was fake and how much it was real, we'll never know. But I decided to do it where there would be no fakery. I was using mice uh, that were from a laboratory where these mice died in about 22 days from ascites tumors. So when I put the word out on my radio show, I was flooded. Hundreds of people said, yeah, I can do that. But over a period of time, almost a year, we selected 50. And then from these 50, we did the studies at the Institute of Applied Biology. And you can actually see photographs of this. If you go up, you'll see, De, uh, Delor, you'll see not Dolores Carden. She was the spiritual uh, healing association director in Great Britain and a phenomenal woman uh, who had a huge reputation for healing people with Harry Edwards, the two of them together. I filmed them both went over there and took someone that they didn't know who was coming. They didn't know what his condition was. He was not talking with anyone. And first I took him to a more open medical community uh, and the Harley Street physicians, uh, Dr. Woodard, and uh, people of his stature. I'm talking about mainstream, highly respected physicians, including physicians to the court and, uh, and the Royal Palace. And not one of them was able to make a difference. I, had a, I hired a BBC cinematographer to film everything over a two-week period. And on the last day, nothing had worked. I had gone to everyone that they said was a member of the Spiritual Healing Association. And uh, there was one man left, and he was the leader of the whole spiritual movement in Great Britain, Harry Edwards. And it was a overclassed cast day, and the guy didn't want to go. Michael didn't want to go. But we took Michael because we had five separate um, radiologists and uh, experts uh, review x-rays of taken then before he left. So we had absolute objective proof. He's got a medically irreversible degeneration of the spine from a swimming accident early in life. He had to wear a brace. He couldn't bend over, couldn't tie his shoes, couldn't do athletics. And it was getting worse. And his sister is the one who got him into the study, and she was a nurse practitioner. In any case, no one knew anything. No one on the team. And I took a team of five experts with me, medical doctors. Plus, I hired the cameraman. I wanted everything on tape. So we went to this very beautiful estate out in the countryside. Surrey was the county. And went inside, and it was just pouring rain. And we're looking around. It's very quiet. There's just one woman there, and she says, he'll be with you shortly. So Michael's saying, this is stupid. And he was going to leave. I actually caught him in the hallway of the hotel with his bags going to the airport the night before. I said, one more day, just one more day. And then if it doesn't work, fine. Then it didn't work. But at least we had to try. So Michael's looking out the window the rain. <clears throat> and I told the camera guy, I don't know when he's going to come in, start filming. So the camera, and about a minute later, in from the back comes this fella, and a uh, short man, heavy set, comes up, doesn't say a word, and he stands behind Michael, and he takes his hands, and he's that far from Michael's back, and he just brings his hand down the back, and that's it. But what happened was, and thank goodness we filmed this, Michael suddenly started to jerk and his body was going into all these spasms. 
and for about 60 seconds, and everyone was just startled because he didn't touch him. And so when I, and then I heard him say something, but it was almost inaudible. And he turned around and he left. And that was it. I want to interview him. No, that was it. And so we left. And Michael couldn't figure it out, but I said, Michael, how do you feel? He's something, something's going on in me. I, I don't know. I, I don't feel the same. I says, what couldn't you do before? He said, I couldn't tie my shoes. I said, then bend over. And he bent right over and touched his shoes. And then we started doing all this stuff. He started doing a sit-up he could never do, a push-up he couldn't do, um, twisting his body. None of this could he do. So we came back, and his whole personality just like evolved. Something happened. But this is what's interesting about science. The fact that you see a phenomena doesn't mean that you understand the phenomena. And so we immediately, within the week, we took him back to all those doctors. We got all new x-rays, and guess what? Nothing had changed. Nothing. So then they said, it's a placebo, just a placebo. But how was it a placebo when he didn't see the man, didn't hear him, and just the man didn't touch him? Well, that's how placebos work. Well, that's nonsense. I knew there was something else there. But here's what was interesting. Over the next six months, Michael got so healthy, he began to jog with me and then run. And it turns out he was an outstanding athlete. There were times when we were whipping around that park, Neil Kramer and uh, Peter Roth, myself and Michael, on a five, five-minute mile, 502, 458. That's fast. And... Uh, and we'd be all talking, and he'd just be not even opening his mouth. He was that kind of shape. How did that happen? So a year later, we went back, and everything had changed. He was totally healed, as if he had never had an accident. So I went back to the film, and I had an audio expert go back through the tapes. And I said, something we've missed. What is it? And sure enough, you can see the lips moving. And I said, keep peeking at it. And he got some extra equipment and he peeked it up. And Harry Edwards says, listen carefully, everyone. His spiritual body is now healing the physical body. That's all he said. So that opened up an entirely new understanding for me. And so that's when I decided to do that experiment. And sure enough, Dr. Audrey Carger, who healed with lights, and uh, they would just kind of hold their hands like this. Dr. Dolores Collins, uh, from head of nursing at um, New York University Nursing School, who founded, from this study, founded Therapeutic Touch. Uh, Dr. Thomas Carruth, the Order of St. Luke, Rabbi Abraham Wiseman, from, who was known as the Healing Rabbi from Brooklyn. Uh, Dr. Morton Jacobs, known as the, the chiropractor with the healing hands. So these are some of the people who were in the studies. Then we brought them back, and they did it six more times. Because having one phenomena doesn't make it so. You have to repeat it. 
So we repeat it over and over and over again for two years, and then all of the kinds of experiments. And in every case, they were able to use their energy. So it's not a question any longer. So the skeptics say and the atheists say, well, there's no, they're wrong. But they're too arrogant. They're too conceited. And in my opinion, they're too insecure to suggest that there's a reality beyond what they understand. So that's why I say all energy that is going to make a difference must be a healing energy. And you've got to start with liberating the spiritual energy to allow the physical to manifest. Otherwise, you can do all the diet and protocols in the world. It's not going to make a difference if you don't change the foundational issues. And that's why I spend so much time, like this coming uh, lecture this coming week, on um, overcoming loneliness and depression, because that locks the energy. That's your dominant energy. You can't have two energies sharing the same space with equal intensity at the same time. So if you're a doubter, if you're a procrastinator, if you're a, a person that doesn't finish something, if you're afraid to, whatever the reason, that's your dominant energy. You may have all these aspirations and inspirations and, and thoughts of what to do that's going to be great, but that's going to go nowhere if your dominant energy is controlling your authentic energy. You've got to reverse that and make everything you do actually doing, not thinking, doing, until doing the right thing becomes the dominant energy, so it's every day, so you're not fighting yourself. Well, I want a hamburger, I want the french fries, but you know, maybe I shouldn't, maybe I'll take a little bit, maybe I'll cheat today, who's, who's going to know? No one. I'm, the games people play, should I, should I not? That's just, sorry it took so long, but it's just a little overview. Anyhow, from that came therapeutic touch. But it was so radical in concept that the Institute's director would not allow it to be sent out. In fact, about 60 of my studies with positive results were never sent out for publication because there were too many of these skeptics, these mainstream doctors with closed minds, bright minds, but closed minds, who would reject it. Well, that's not possible. As they said, you know, with failed experiments, in any case, um, just thought you'd find that of interest. Because understand that when you start to go to a retreat, if you have the right mindset, then you're opening yourself up for change. If you go with a cynical, uh, prove to me, show me. Well, I don't prove or show anything to anyone. You know, that's not, uh, there's no way. That's like pushing a rope up a hill. You can't open a closed mind. All you're going to do is argue. There's, what's the point of that arguing? Me arguing with someone about my reality, my truth, the people I've worked with, the tens of thousands of people I've reversed their disease and helped them, it's because I help liberate that energy. You think they're going to pay attention to that? If they would have, they would have paid attention when we were curing people with AIDS. The only people in the world curing people with AIDS and was attacked for it instead of at least people coming in saying, what are you doing? Let's take a look here. Maybe we could do it. And that's 95% of the entire medical and scientific community are smart, brilliant, hardworking, dedicated, and closed-minded. So that's why I say we, we, you, me, Let's stop listening to what they're saying about what is our reality and start trusting our reality is what we make it. Separately, in other news, the U.S. food banks are struggling to feed hungry people 
amid the surging prices. They said that the inflation doesn't matter. It sure as hell matters. The people who can't afford the luxury of being elitist in the media and the governmental agencies, the functionally illiterate people who don't know what it's like to have to make a certain amount of money stretch and you don't have enough money for food and medicine and utilities and mortgage or rent. And so you're always living with this sense of foreboding, this, this almost a nihilistic notion of life. What's the point? What's the point? You know, so I'm diabetic and I, I can't afford, you know, uh, the medicine or I have cancer. I can't afford the medicine or heart disease. I'm not saying to use those or not. That's your choice. I'm saying, what if you need those and they can save your life and you can't even afford them? And yet unlimited amounts of money, whatever the military industrial complex, corrupt, vile, inhumane, they get every single penny, Democrats and Republicans, high and low, White House after White House, doesn't matter whether it's Bush or Clinton or Reagan uh, or Obama or Trump, they're all captured by these special interest groups. But hungry Americans, hungry children, no. No, you don't count. So just remember, there are a lot of people out there. From the Associated Press, uh, Janie Harrop wrote a column out in Oakland about the U.S. food banks already dealing with increased demand from families sidelined by the pandemic now face a new challenge, surging food prices and supply chain issues that are really adversely affecting the world. Now, we only think about the poor when celebrities to get a photo shoot, you know, to make them look human instead of the... <laughs> I won't give you my idea of what most of them are. But since when is caring about those who are hungry or homeless or poor something we should do on Thanksgiving or Christmas? What about all the other days of the year? So you have a huge price increase in a lot of foods and availability. Isn't it time that we reprioritized and set up legitimate free food banks in every community in America and used, since there seems to be unlimited amounts of money for all these private public partnerships? Do you really, does anyone, anyone really believe that all these trillions of dollars going for these infrastructures are actually going to go for new bridges and tunnels and dams and sustainable environments? No. The vast majority of that's going to go right into the corporations who've been lobbying for this because they're the ones who get the money, the private contractors. And that's true in every industry. But that money could also be going to set up these permanent food banks in every community open seven days a week, including for people that don't have a place. Uh, there's a place I support called The Daily Bread. I support one here in Florida. I support one over in Titusville, especially after I, I walk with veterans the six miles, the homeless vets coming out of the woods at a little pup tents where they went each day down to The Daily Bread in Titusville to get a free meal. And they could eat there. There were some showers there for the different vets and pe homeless people. And there was a table with clothes that had been dry, uh, cleaned, washed, that had been donated. So if people needed socks, 
The number one thing he always needed was underwear and socks. In any case, um, if you can afford to support the Daily Bread or other honest, legitimate charities that help those who are in need of help, please do so. But in any case, now it's hard to get the food. Even if you order healthy food, half the order sometimes doesn't come in. I know because I order in bulk organic food for the animals here. My animals eat better than most humans because that's why, well, they deserve to. I don't feed the crap out of, you know, the pet foods out of bags. In any case, now people can't even get a lot of food. They can't get a lot of things because of the mess in not understanding supply chain economics. But talking about economics, I just want to spend a little time now on this issue. And that is, I believe you're being lied to. I believe it's purely political. I believe all these talking heads that you see on these programs, either conservative or liberal programs, are the same. They're all representing certain larger financial interests behind the scenes. Now, I'm going to be exposing those in a new article, major article. In fact, it's so large already that it's going to take almost 10 days of reading about a half hour per day when it's finally released. Um, this is going to give you a whole different perspective on who's responsible for everything that we're experiencing now on all levels. I'm interrelating everything. And 99.9% .9 of the people mentioned in here, you're going to see their photograph and their name, what companies they control, and which companies that they control control other companies. And so every day, almost probably 70% of everything you buy is going directly to them. So this has not been done before. It'll be coming shortly. But at the heart of everything, it's the idea of should we be saving or should we be spending? And if we're spending, what should we spend our money on? And more often than not, we're spending money on what they tell us to spend. Just look at the commercials. You're hungry? Hey, we got it for you. We got the meat? No, we're not going to show you all the studies showing this meat, what we're going to feed you, can cause your cancer, breast cancer, colon cancer. Uh, no, we're not going to. We're not going to show you that. We'll show you happy people saying, wow, look at that. So if one company had a hamburger, now another company has a hamburger and bacon. Ah, uh, another company has hamburger, bacon, and eggs. Well, okay. But another company has french fries. Well, we got you that beat. We got onion rings on top of the french fries. Now we got two types of cheese, and then we got two types of sauce all on this bread. Okay. And the fried chicken person, he's got a glazed donut as the bun on top and bottom. Well, that was original. Does any of this help us? No, all of it leads to disease. Is there anyone who's not aware that the quality of our lifestyle directly relates to the quality of our health? No, I think people are aware of that. The fact that a person is aware of something doesn't mean that they're going to apply it. So the same is true with economics. If we begin to save, which we should, and other countries are examples of the benefits of saving, Chinese people, not the government, but the Chinese people, Indian people, but not the government, then you would appreciate it. And Americans at one time, back in the 1930s and 40s and after the war, when they began to spend because they had a 2% GI loan, they could have a house built, generally at eight to $10,000 with the cost of a house. So now, 
what we have is we have debt. So here's my challenge to all of those economists. You are all wrong. Not only are you wrong, in my opinion, you are you're negligently wrong. It's one thing just to be wrong as not knowing everything or miscalculating something. It's something else when you're participating in getting people to spend money they shouldn't be spending on things that they don't need or could be harmful to them. Because what happens? I'll give you an example. Now they're saying, oh, the economy's great. People have confidence. They're, they're taking their savings because the lockdown didn't allow them to go out and spend stuff. That's not true. They were buying online. Uh, and now, uh, now they, they're sharing that money with the economy. So the gross domestic product, the G, GDP, is growing to $23 trillion. Okay. How much of that gross domestic product is based upon people using their credit cards and creating debt? So what kind of alchemy is, this is good news. Look at spending. Corporations and banks are thriving. Versus the bad news, for every dollar a person spends that they don't have, it's not a part of their savings, they go into debt. But then over here you have the economic vultures, the predators, the people who are the economic parasites, the persons that Joe Biden and Barack Obama and Bill Clinton and all the others in power have received money from and support with no restrictions. Congress has no restrictions on payday loans. You could end up paying a thousand percent interest on the stuff that you bought using those payday loans. They just keep rolling over the loan when you can't pay it, adding more cumulative debt. And so now, a person buys something. Remember the, uh, the liar loans for the mortgages? I only make 33000 a year. Not a problem. It's a $400,000 house. We're just going to bump up that income to 80000 a year. Okay. So both the person signing it, their fault, their responsibility, their greed, and those at the mortgage system, I'm greedy. I'm, I'm pathological. I need to make money. I'm an adaptive aggressive. I'm on a downside. I'm a salesperson. So trust nothing I say. I'm a real estate broker or I'm a stockbroker. And as a result, lying. And then the banks, mortgage companies, who ultimately got the money, and then they tranche it off and then sell it again to investors. Everybody involving greed, which is most people. So shame on them when they lose and goes south, south and uh, then they want to blame everyone but themselves. We're a good nation for blaming everyone and never looking in the mirror saying, how did I get to where I'm at? Do I have any responsibility for anything? And right now, the average American, I'm not responsible for anything. Anything that happens, it's the government, or it's corporations, or it's this or that. What about you, friend? What role do you play in your own shortcomings? Take any responsibility? Most of the time, it's no. So then, you have people with debt. That debt, they're not going to be able to pay. And the banks don't want you to pay it, because the moment you can't pay the full amount that you owe, on a credit card, your interest rate goes up. Not on that bank, on all other banks. They're all interconnected. So now, you can't pay the full amount, but you skip a payment. It goes up again. So now you can end up with a student loan or the car payment. You can end up paying twice, three times what the actual loan was for. Has the government come in and says, you know something? We're going to do the right thing. Forgive all debt. Start from scratch. We did it with corporations. We forgave all debt. Then we gave them exclusive, like 
vaccines. We gave them the money to create the vaccines. We gave them shared patents rights with them, with the CDC. And then we gave them guaranteed purchases of the vaccine. There's no downside, no liability, can't be sued. So it's all profit, $32 billion just this year alone. Well, wow, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. No, it doesn't, but that's the way it works. So just understand the, the debt game. But let me go through the actual figures. <clears throat> we have a gross domestic product of $23 trillion. But the U.S. debt, total U.S. United States government debt is $85 trillion. The national debt is $29 trillion. The state debt of individual states is $1.2 trillion. The local debt is $2.1 trillion of local, like New York City. Now, when you add up the total debt plus the debt of foreign countries who gave us money, and we gave my IOUs, treasuries, plus unfunded liabilities, you're $243 trillion. Let me repeat that. $243 trillion is our actual total debt that we're responsible for. All right. That's 1,560% debt to gross domestic product. We are bankrupt. We'll never pay this off. So, but we say, but we're paying 3.9 trillion, yeah, yeah, interest paid. Personal debt's 21 trillion. So all those people who are doing great, no, you owe 21.4 trillion dollars. Your mortgage is 15.8 trillion, and student loan is 1.7 trillion, and credit card is 958 billion. Social Security liability is 21.3 trillion, unfunded liabilities 151 trillion, medical liability, Medicare liabilities 33 trillion, currency and credit derivatives is 572 trillion. You can thank Barack Obama for that, which means that on Christmas Eve. In his last year in office, they passed the bail-in policy, which means that the banks and Wall Street firms, the control banks, took out huge gambles on these derivatives. Who was it? Warren Buffett, who says derivatives are like financial ticking time bombs. These are bets, and, uh, and there's very little money down paid, but if they go bad, if the economy collapses and they have to pay that, the money comes out of the banks, your accounts, not theirs. So add that in. I didn't even add that figure in. U.S. holding, U.S. debt held by foreign countries, $7.1 trillion. And uh, so just understand, and corporate debt is $9.9 trillion. So a lot of corporations are really doing well, buying up competition with zero, effectively zero interest uh, loans. So they've got $9.9 trillion in debt. So what would happen if a country had to run without debt? What if it had to downsize? What if we only bought the clothes we needed? What if we bought it from local people and unionists who were paid a living wage and could engage in collective bargaining? What if we bought our food that was planted locally without chemicals to stop all the carbon uh, being uh, created from flying it in or uh, trucking in from, you know, 
5,000 miles. What if we changed how we looked at life? Why did we started saying no to a lot of these gadgets and things that require precious minerals? We would have a different world, wouldn't we? Yes, we would. But that's not where we're at right now. And finally, before everyone starts believing everything about the genomes of food, now they want to put, I'm going to get with this in more depth, they want to grow vegetables with genetically engineered chemicals. So when you eat your vegetables, you'll be eating your vaccines. Great idea. Wow. Then everybody gets vaccinated. Oh, did they figure out what if you eat too many vegetables? Would vegans get so many of these vaccines in their body that it could hurt them, kill them? Mm. They should read the study that I read at the Karolinska Institute in Sweden. The gene genome editing tool, the very tool that everybody's using, quote, could increase cancer risk. The therapeutic use of gene editing with the CRISPR uh, Cas9 technique may inadvertently increase the risk of cancer, according to a new study from the Karolinska Institute and the University of Helsinki, published in Nature Medicine. All right. And before everybody goes gaga over about how great the vaccine is doing, the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System COVID vaccine data shows a surge in reports of serious injuries of five-year-olds starting to get shots. The data today by the CDC included 875,653 reports of adverse events from all age groups following COVID vaccines, including 18,461 deaths, 135,400 serious injuries. Well, so who's paying attention? How about nobody? Because that could only be 1%. Now multiply that times nine and you start seeing how serious this all is. And that's unfortunate. And a lot of these are now injuries in young kids getting the vaccines. This is a terrible experiment. So that's the latest on health and healing. I'm Gary Nall. I want to introduce you to Michael Kane. He's been on the program several times. A school teacher, uh, a union uh, supporter, but not necessarily supporting the leadership I'm very pro-union. Uh, I've been that my whole life. But that doesn't mean that every union has a conscientious uh, person running it. And that seems to be the case with the school teachers union, among others. So my support is for all the teachers because I've been a teacher for 40, almost, almost 50 years. And at different major institutions at the university and college level. But think about what will happen with all the teachers that we need teaching courses in critical thinking that students need and providing a, an environment that is open to debate and challenge uh, to show them how the real world functions so that they can be better prepared to enjoy that. But now the teacher's ready to go to school and they're told, nope, you get vaccinated or you don't get in. We'll put you on unpaid leave. Well, what if the teacher has already been infected, has natural immunity? All 91 studies have shown that natural immunity is anywhere from 1,200 to 2,400% better for the body. Then they say, well, no, you can still infect people. 
then the question is, show us the study. Which study do you have that shows that people who have had COVID and recovered have spread it to other people? Show us even one study. There is none. And the CDC has had to acknowledge that. The FDA had to acknowledge that. So why would you want people who have natural immunity that is robust, creating natural antibodies that may last them a minimum of a year? It could be as long as a lifetime. Why would you want to give them another vaccine, which is completely unheard of, since we don't have any clinical studies showing what happens to a person's immune system that has natural immunity now given an artificial immunity? So, so this teacher says, but I've, I've had COVID, I'm healthy, and there's no study showing I, I would spread it or have or anyone else. They don't care. But I have religious exemptions. I don't care. And that's where Michael comes in because... Michael's helped share information as one of the leaders of the movement to get not just school teachers, but now all municipal workers, firefighters, and all the other people, airline pilots and truck drivers, and anyone else that gets a paycheck from the city, county, or state, or federal government, he believes that they should have a voice. So he is one of the people representing a voice for the voiceless, which is what this program is about. And just as an irony, Pacifica Foundation that we're broadcasting on in our 45th year um, was founded by Lou Hill, who said, be a voice for the voiceless. He did not say we're going to be radical left or radical right. He had people from all walks of life. That was immaterial. Sharing the truth was so immaterial. I know I went to San Francisco. I studied the archives. I studied his background in history. Boy, we come a long way because this was the only program that was willing to look at the lack of legitimate science behind what was going on. And everyone else on Pacifica, except for one or two people, Gary Bird, a few others, uh, and I believe Dr. Kakai, I haven't spoke with either one, but I was told that they also have an open mind and are looking for the truth on COVID and to see what the truth says, not the official version. Michael, that said, take it from here and let us know what the people do not know or could know and then share that information so they can indeed empower the movement. The forum is yours. Thank you so much, Gary. I gotta thank you and Richard Gale for having me on. Over a year ago, you were the first uh, media outlet to let me have a voice and to say what I needed to say. I founded the group Teachers for Choice. You could find us at teachersforchoice.org. We're 100% opposed to medical mandates for any worker to keep their job. And we are against uh, the mandates that are coming now for the kids to mandate this vaccine that's barely one year old, hardly even tested. So um, we've been fighting and suing the DOE uh, multiple times. We're now in our third lawsuit called Kane versus de Blasio. It's right at the top of our website. And we've gotten a lot of press coverage on it because we kept losing in the courts, in the lower courts. And they would cover us and say, oh, these teachers lost again. Oh, they really don't know what they're talking about. Well, we won. We just won an injunction that is going to force de Blasio and New York City to give us a new religious exemption process because their process was found to be unconstitutional by the Second Circuit Court of Appeals. And I got that out to all of the media. I have 30 media contacts in New York City, all mainstream contacts. I talked to the reporters. They were excited about it. I know they put it on their editor's desk. Not one story has broken in the mainstream press. When we were losing in the lower courts, they love to talk about that. Uh, But we get a victory, it's just hush-hush. 
with the mainstream media. And that, that's no surprise um, to your audience, Gary. I mean, you have a sophisticated audience here. That's why they're listening to you. So for people to just understand what it means, um, the court, the Second Circuit Court of Appeals is one step away from the Supreme Court. And uh, we got three liberal justices in the Second Circuit, two Carter appointees, one Bill Clinton employ, uh, appointee. And we were a little nervous about that because a lot of the uh, liberal justices don't see the religious freedom issue uh, quite the same way as, as uh, conservatives, as progressives, as I do, as you do as well, Gary. Um, but the arguments from our attorneys were so compelling, they had to admit that the city had to at least do a do-over of the religious exemption process for the 15 named plaintiffs. Now, obviously, our attorney said, well, if it's good enough for the 15 named plaintiffs, it's good enough for 1,500 who have been denied. And even some further, who some who didn't apply at all because of the illegal procedures that they put out there. I'll give you one example. They told everybody that was working in New York City schools that you had to have a clergy member write a letter signing off on your sincerely held religious beliefs. They put that in black and white. That is illegal. That is patently illegal. That is not what the First Amendment says. And it is not how federal courts have interpreted the First Amendment. The federal courts have been clear. The belief of the individual is supreme. Religious belief is between the individual and their version of their God, their creator, their higher power. No man, no building, no institution has to sign off on it for you. But Bill de Blasio and all his wisdom with all of his attorneys at Corporation Council put that illegal statement in black and white writing, among many other illegal statements. So if you were a teacher or an educator or a school aide and you saw this and you said, wow, well, my beliefs, my religious beliefs prevent me from vaccinating, but I have no clergy member that's going to write a letter for me. Many of these people didn't even apply. Uh, because they said this doesn't apply to me. That's not true. Uh, the city was fraudulent in their process. They put forth an illegal process. And what's happened now and how our attorneys describe it is that a door has been opened to justice. And when you open a door to justice, it's hard to close that door. We're going to be in court again on November 22nd uh, at Foley Square uh, in front of the Thurgood Marshall Courthouse. And we're going to have a rally for religious freedom on Monday, November 22nd. We'll have more details on that at our website, but I encourage anybody who's anywhere near New York City, come out with us, rally for religious freedom on November 22nd, this upcoming uh, Monday. Good for you, Michael. And for all the people, show your support. Remember, when we have a society where everyone obeys the rules without examining the context and legality of those rules, then we are being foolish. And uh, Michael and all the other people can be there uh, are because they believe it's a matter of consciousness. Just the main points that Michael talked about. New York City implemented an illegal and unconstitutional system for granting religious exemptions to educators. New York City admitted in open court that their system was unconstitutional. An injunction was granted on Monday by the Second Circuit Court of Appeals, uh, but did not restore anyone's job. And the, uh, the injunction uh, gives the plaintiffs a second chance to apply for religious exemption in a new system that the city says will be constitutional. So they're back in court for the merits panel this coming Monday, and the mainstream media is refusing to report on this victory.
uh, and that doesn't surprise us at all. Walk away from Wikipedia. Walk away from the New York Times. Walk away from Rachel Maddow. Walk away from the dancing clowns in the media. They do not have your interests first. If they did, they would have had the courage to have challenged many of these scientific, inconsistent, or out-and-out wrong approaches that Anthony Fauci has taken. Michael, thank you for your good work. Thank you so much. I'm Gary and all. We're out of time. Thank you all for listening and watching, and have a nice day.